0: Okay, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Not Suitable for Anyone. Uh, thank, I'm really excited about uh, today's episode uh, because, uh, you know, once again, uh, here uh, today I'm joined by uh, a special guest, uh, another filmmaker. Uh, her name is uh, Sophia Cassiola. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, she has made, uh, actually a, a number of films, but her most recent film uh, that we're going to talk about today, uh, came out about a year ago. It's called Clickbait. Uh, Sophia, hi.
1: Hello. Sorry to interrupt you there. I was just like gearing up for the mispronunciation, <laughs> <laughs> but you did research. good.
0: <laughs> yep, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, um, so this has been out for, for a little while now, I think, um, the uh, the Blu-ray came out. Um, I've got it here. Came out as a as a Horror Pack uh, limited edition. Is there is there any, anywhere else on physical media that uh, that people can get this?
1: I believe the DVD just came out on um, Amazon and some other places. You can get the DVD, but the Blu-ray was exclusive to Horror Pack. And I don't know if eventually they're gonna sell it separately from the subscription box or not. Um, not actually sure, but hopefully Blu-ray is awesome um so yeah and it's, it's available everywhere streaming as well
0: right right yeah it's uh it's of course everything is digital now right. um so you can get it there and you know this is um so this is a um a horror satire uh, or horror comedy i guess um i guess how do you you know how do you sort of classify it in your mind
1: yeah it's, i'm satire is probably the correct word for it some movies called clickbait i'm not sure if we said the title um <laughs> The clickbait, it's a satire for sure. Uh, Definitely leaned more into horror comedy as we were making it. Um, But I think the comedy elements are all mostly satire. So probably like horror satire is like right on. Uh, It definitely, it lands in a weird spot because it's not very scary, you know? But it's like one of those horrors that's just, uh, it has horror elements but it's not terribly scary.
0: Right, right. There's a lot of influences here. I think we'll we'll kind of get into those. Um, you can see, I can see a lot of uh, you know different sort of genres and styles. I guess that have influenced you as a as a as a as a horror fan and as a filmmaker. Um, you know, there's there's you know sort of there's Giallo influences here in in parts. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of comedy here. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, some very dry humor and then others like things that are very, you know, sort of very much on the nose, you know, sort of over the top, you know, kind of slapstick humor, um, uh, um, I guess potty humor for, for lack of a better term.
1: For sure. Yeah, definitely like the stalking. There's a lot of stalking in the movie that we wanted to shoot very giallo with the, the leather glove and it's all first person POV handheld shots, um, stalking. So basically it's like two vloggers who are being stalked. Um, and then it kind of goes off the rails. But then interspersed, there's a lot of like commercials for this product called Toot Strudels, which is already over the top ridiculous. Uh, but I love stuff with commercials. Like it's such like an '80s thing. Like I love the stuff, and I love like Larry Cohen's aesthetic of like doing satire with like sci-fi or horror elements. But then like these commercials are ridiculous, or like RoboCop or um, Halloween Three. Like I love like uh, breaking up a narrative with some zaniness
0: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely uh and there's there's quite a bit of that here um so i think we're gonna get into you know i'd like to get into a lot of you know the details and things like that so like i said it is uh, it is very widely available out there on digital i think um at least as of right now if you are if you're an amazon prime member um, you can uh, you can stream it. Uh, it's also available you know at VOD uh, at all the all the usual spots. So I definitely want to get into some details. Um, you know because there we'll, we'll get to it. There is you know there there it, there's a little bit of a, a mystery um, right. as to what's going on, and I'd, I'd like to get into that. But first, I just want to sort of talk about um, you know the uh, the opening shot, uh, and and it really kind of grabs me. Right from the beginning, because you've got this—you've got the this split diopter shot uh, right in the beginning, which you don't—you don't see a whole lot of uh, these days uh, in film. Uh, but you've got it, you know, sort of right front and center in that first scene.
1: Yeah, I love split diopters. I'm a big '70s Brian De Palma fan, so um, I use it as much as possible. I use it on almost everything I do now. Uh, but what I love about it is you don't have to rack focus, you don't have to take attention away and you can allow the screen, the viewer to just pick what they're looking at. So in that particular shot, we have our main celebrity vlogger, influencer, like looking at her computer, which is almost looking directly at the audience, crying over something that she's watching. And then you have her roommate in the background kind of doing her own thing, which is kind of their relationship. Um, So it just like puts it right out there right in the first thing. And then, you know, she swears and whatever. And you realize that she's not like crying for what she's watching. She's crying for herself because she's very self-absorbed. So I think right in that two minutes, you know, we had we did it like we did it one day. We had to reshoot it because we didn't really like it. But she had to cry each time. And so we probably did it like four or five times where she just like two minute long scene with crying and the split diopter. Um, But once we got it, I think it really just set up their relationship really
0: well yeah yeah they do have an interesting relationship here and so i guess we should kind of get into that aspect of it is it's it's very much i think roasting the sort of influencer culture or you know or fame culture you know things like tiktok is really big right now and of course youtube um you guys actually created an actual website i
1: um, did
0: and and put content on it um so it's called it's called streaker but it's essentially in the same vein as like a tiktok or uh, or something like that
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, I didn't... Because, like, I have a lot of empathy for young women today having to find their way as far as, like, who to be online and what their identity is online and then, you know, making careers out of it. Like, I don't... I never wanted to portray them as stupid, you know, like, you know, like, the way the Kardashians are portrayed. I think King Kardashian's probably very smart. Um, just the way to handle, like, an empire like that. Like, you can't be... Totally dumb. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, it was like the culture being put upon them and then them trying to like like a shark try to navigate through it and find their way to make it work for them. And, you know, it I guess they probably don't end up doing that in the end. (laughs) But um (laughs) that was my thing. I never wanted to like definitely she's like a character, um, Bailey is a character who's not very likable to a lot of people. I've heard that. But um And that's fine because she's kind of villainous, but I wanted her to be smart and, you know, and having her own way with the culture. And so it's really just about like what this Internet fame influencer culture like does to people and who we put online for other people to watch because we all choose a personality that goes online for the world.
0: Sure. Yeah, and you can definitely tell. I mean, you know, yes, like she, you know, we we do see you know sort of one of her videos and a lot of things that that she's talking about, and and it I suppose it is easy to kind of write her off as being kind of vapid or or self absorbed, but there are moments where you get you get the sense that there's something there's something more to her than that. You know, where she 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 was talking to Emma at some point, you know, maybe like halfway through the movie, where she says, you know, no one takes me seriously anyway. Uh, as she's trying to like sort of justify, you know, sort of dropping out of college and just focusing on making these videos.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's very intentional. You know, they have their fights where you kind of break through the veneer of like who they are online. And, you know, she's trying to decide, like, do I bother sitting in a classroom or do I do this thing that's giving me a lot of fame and attention? Um, and based on the way she looks, she's a very beautiful young woman. Like, you know, maybe that is the correct choice if she wants to go as far as she can go in the world. Um, and so definitely like we wanted their arguments to definitely show that what she's doing is intentional and that she's trying to be smart about it. Um, and then Emma comes from like another side where she just like, doesn't really care about the internet and, and like, doesn't understand that that could be a career or that could be something that you put all this time and effort into. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Her, um, the, the, her personality to me, every time I, every time I watch the movie is she reminds me a lot of, uh, of Velma. Uh, from Scooby Doo, yeah. Um, you know, she's very studious. Um, maybe a little bit more of a of a wet blanket. A very, you know, sort of logical, um, and a really nice contrast. Um,
1: yeah, it's funny because the the actors like, you know, they asked us like, why are these two people friends? Because <laughs> you <know>, they're <laughs> so different. And to me, it's like, you know, like when you're in college, you just get thrown in with someone, you know, in like a dorm room or whatever, like, and you make it work. And it, to me, it's just like they were thrown in together. And, like, they just sussed it out, you know, and they became, like, unlikely friends.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that does happen. Um, and you form bonds and you form, you know, relationships with people sometimes just by just by proximity and, and familiarity. Absolutely, um, yeah.
1: And I think, like, Bailey found, you know, a way to have Emma just kind of be part of her crew. You know, like, just, like, have her work for her a little bit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right, right. So, um, so Emma's or um, Bailey's one of you know these the sort of group of uh, vloggers you know that we kind of get introduced to throughout the uh, throughout the film, um, and we see a lot of these different you know vlogs throughout, and and even at some point, parts of the narrative start to get told you know through you know, through some of these vlogs. So it it, it almost got this sort of mashup uh, of found footage. Uh, You know, with narrative and and Giallo sort of all, you know, worked into one scene.
1: Yeah, we had a lot more um, like narrative scenes with some of the other characters, like the boyfriends and stuff. And we ended up cutting some of that out because we thought it was much better to tell their personalities and who they were through their own vlogs. Like Brayden is just like a hunky guy who just like works out all the time and he's just kind of an he actually is kind of an idiot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and Chase is just like a sweethearted like kid who like, you know, is in love with Bailey. Like so like to show those things like through their videos that like, they make for us, like our website's called Streaker, but they make it for the internet under this guise of like this toot strudels competition, like to get these most views so they win whatever. Um you know, and so it's again, it's like who are they to the world and who how does that reflect on them? And so like we actually did cut out more of their plot their plotting stuff. And yeah, and then it does turn into like a live it's live now, you know, and we're watching like the live footage, and then you see the world is watching what's going on in like Times Square, you know, so <laughs> it becomes like much bigger than just like this little group of friends.
0: Right, right. And there's a great interaction between um yeah, you know, between Bailey and and the ex boyfriend uh, at the at the Halloween party, and yeah, you know, she has a whole scene with him where you know she talks about you know oh well you know which 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 one of your videos is trending you know the one that I, the one that I edited and shot or the one that I wrote, edited and shot.
1: Yeah, that was important for me because I think a lot of times like you know if a woman is working like my, my partner's male you know and often he'll get the credit for stuff that I do. And I never get credit for stuff he does, you know, so <laughs> definitely, like, you know, that was like a little jab at, you know, just people's perceptions of things, you know, that, like, there's usually, like, a woman doing a lot of a man's work, you know, it's throughout history, you know, painters, everything, like, they always had help, you know, they weren't alone doing these things, so... Uh so I just thought that was kind of funny. You know, like he is an idiot and like he was with her just because of like what she could do for him through like making him more popular by being with her. And the minute she's not that popular anymore, he's gonna dump her and find somebody else, you know.
0: Right, right. And do you think is it is it harder for women to claim credit or accept credit um for the work that they do than it is, you know, maybe for men?
1: I I think it's um, you know, people And this comes back to like politics too. It's like people don't want to see an ambitious woman. They think that there's like some defect in her character to see (laughs) ambition and to see pride in work. Um, So I definitely think that's like a societal thing that we're supposed to be demure and kind of humble about what we do. And it's probably for the worse, you know?
0: (laughs) Sure. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, that scene really kind of sort of stood out, uh, stood out to me because I've seen, you know, I mean, I've seen, you know, tweets and things where people are talking about, uh, talking about clickbait and they'll mention Michael um, and your name won't even come up. And I'll, you know, look on the back of the box and I'm like, wait, there's two names here.
1: Yeah, exactly. I asked him if he was jealous that only I was being interviewed today. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't care, he's sleeping. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, often, like definitely everything we do is a joint effort and neither of us could do the project without the other, you know, so. um, But I think he's a little more outspoken than I am about things like, uh, so he often gets more of the the attention sometimes. So
0: yeah, but we know who's really doing the work.
1: That's right, me, <laughs> <laughs> or at least my fair share, you know.
0: <laughs> that's right. No, no, it's that's good. Um, yeah, uh, that's great. So, so sort of getting back to back to the movie and that Halloween party scene. I think this is there's a number of things that jump out at me about this. Both, you know, both. So let's talk about you know maybe narratively. Uh, First, there's a whole discussion right before they go into the party because Emma, Emma is dressed as a poop uh, for the Halloween party. And there is she has she has a a great line um, that I especially appreciate because in my day job, I I practice intellectual property law. um, And she has this great line about how, uh, you know, a turd is a very specific kind of excrement. You know but but a poop is more general and they have this this sort of dialogue about it and it almost struck me as you know making a statement about um you know like like emojis are have become sort of a part of our language and our way of communicating and nobody really thinks about the fact that those things are copyrighted and owned by somebody um you know, so if you were to do something, use some, use you know that in a commercial project, you know, you might need to get licensing or something like that. But but nobody nobody owns poop in general. Um right. You know, that's just sort of this concept that's open to the public. So I, I don't know if that was you know if that was sort of you know what you were intending to be commenting on, but that's just sort sort of what I got from that uh, conversation.
1: That's hilarious. I mean, Michael wrote that that bit of dialogue, and I know it's very specifically funny to him. Um, but that's really funny because the actress had dressed, we didn't know what to make Emma for Halloween. We knew Bailey was going to be like a princess or something like glamorous. And we hadn't had an idea of what to make Emma. And then we saw the actress had dressed up as the poop emoji for the previous Halloween. And we just thought that was hilarious. And she had done it already. So we're like, perfect, you're going to do this again. And then I was like, wait, like you're saying we can't use the poop emoji hat, like, because it's copyrighted. And so, like, I actually made her poop hat out of like styrofoam and felt because, like, because of your exactly what you're saying is like I didn't want to step into any copyright issues with the emoji. So it's really funny that like in real life that was also the case. (laughs) (laughs) What you're saying, Um, but yeah, that's really funny.
0: Yeah, yeah, sort of art uh, art imitating life, I guess.
1: Exactly. Yeah, for sure.
0: So, okay, that's, that's great. Yeah, that was really funny. And then the other thing, the other thing about uh, and this is sort of the first, it's not the only time, but sort of the first time that really, it really jumped out at me is uh, sort of the way a lot of these party scenes are lit. And it's just one example of many, but the uh, the lighting, uh, the lighting and cinematography throughout this movie is, uh, is, is done really, really well.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I worked with a team that I have out here. Um, Matt Stewart's and Paul Zerker just two of my best friends out here. And so a lot of it, we shot, like, everything in the house, like, we wanted very bright. And I wanted it to feel almost like a sitcom or, like, a Lifetime movie. Like, it's three camera. It's, like, the wide and the sides. Um, just to give it that kind of, like, cozy, like, feel of, like, something we, we know. And then, you know, the stalker scenes are all at night and they're all, you know, POV. Um, And then when we got to the party, like I love, like you were saying, I love Giallo. So like, I just like, let's go crazy. Like, here is like an actual reason to go crazy with the lighting. So it's all like green and purple. Um, And like, we were just in like a warehouse that was just empty. So like, you know, trying to create the space that this would be like a cool warehouse party (laughs) uh, through the lighting.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I think um, you see, at least I thought I caught, you know, in my last, uh, the last time I rewatched, it, I thought I caught a glimpse of, um, I can't remember his name, but the police officer uh, character yeah. is actually at the party for uh, for a brief moment. that becomes important later.
1: It does. So there's like a couple of things that happen that are important at the party, which includes the fact that somebody's there dressed as Trump. Right. And that, you know, and if you're watching closely, you see someone dressed as a cop <laughs> and it does, it does come around in the plot later.
0: Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then Emma just, you know, trying to study for the test at the party, which, you know, I've, re- it, it rings very true to me in my college experience. Cause I definitely knew, uh, you know, knew people that, that did that, you know, where you just get dragged out somewhere, but you've got a, you've got a midterm tomorrow. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and nobody else cares but her.
0: <laughs> um. So yeah, and the uh, the 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 Donald Trump mask, uh, or the character is Donald Trump, uh, which is which is Michael, I think.
1: In that uh, scene, it is yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, we
1: couldn't bear to make anybody else be such an awful character.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean he's clearly. We, yeah, go ahead. We
1: made Pence a woman because I thought that would piss him off. <laughs>
0: No. Oh. Um, and he's clearly not having a very good time at the party because I think at one point he says, "Like next year, I'm I'm gonna dress as something more popular."
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, I think there's certain circles in this country where you know it's not that cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he was experiencing. People were hanging out with him. <laughs> yeah,
0: and then um, uh, and so after after the party, you know, when they get home. Well, first of all, there's a whole scene in the car, um, you know, when when Emma's trying to leave the party, uh, and you find out that she can't drive.
1: Right, <laughs> and they're stuck there. Yeah, you know, until until they sober up. Actually, they walk home, I think. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they would be stuck there.
0: Um, but then it comes to a scene that I have I have actually shared with uh, with some of my friends uh, because it's so funny uh, when uh, when Bailey when Bailey does her um does her bedtime prayer.
1: Right. Yes. <laughs> uh it's just another moment like kind of like in the beginning where you know like at first you're like oh cute they're going to like have affirmations or whatever you know <laughs> or like actually do like this thing and it's so out of character in that moment you're like okay they're gonna pray before bed okay and then it's like you know give me the strength of a mediocre white man or whatever <laughs> is the exact line um which is just like you know we got a lot of credit for that line even though i totally just got it off of twitter or something you know like it was definitely a meme at some point like you know, the it's not the strength it's uh like uh I forget the word, but, oh,
0: like
1: uh, the confidence, the con, yes, the confidence of a meteorite man. And so it's just like another moment of her being very self-aware, you know, in what she's doing and also making it all about herself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great scene. And it's just, it's just another one of those. And, and I guess it, it's re you're really establishing, you've really kind of established a tone, uh, of the film at this point, because it's funny, um, but it's also it, it, it's also kind of in a, in a very over the top way. I mean, you've got these characters that are kind of, you know caricatures of uh, of the way a lot of these types of, of people act. because again, you're kind of roasting and, and satirizing this uh, this culture at the same time while also, you know, sympathizing with it.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like their relationship again, like Emma doesn't really want to participate in this like nightly ritual. <laughs> but then it's also really sweet. Like it's a sweet moment between them still.
0: Yeah, it's one of several, actually. Um, in 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 the movie, because there's other, another scene later where they're where they're in bed together. Yeah. Um, and it's I mean not in a you know not in a, a sexual way, but just like you know like sisters <laughs> or like two you know really good friends. Yeah,
1: in their jammies, talking it out. Yeah, and, and it's like you know the wheels are turning for uh, Emma at that point about like what's actually happening. But yeah, they get a little fright, and then they're they have a little chat. Uh, But yeah, we wanted to make sure. So they're like, their relationship's very volatile. Like they're almost like a married couple, you know, they have their big fights, they have their like reluctant, all right, I'll go along with whatever you're doing. And then they have their sweet moments and their heart to hearts. So they really, they're all over the place (laughs) and in in a realistic way, I think in a human way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely, uh, definitely is. Um, And I feel like it's sort of this, this next morning when, when really the the the, primi- the 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 tone is established and then the story really starts to kick in because um, you know the we already know as the audience the night before somebody was out in you know in her front yard you know filming her filming them coming home mm-hmm. um, and then by the next morning that video has been added to Bailey's streaker channel uh, and it's already trending
1: right yeah so that's a big hint also. <laughs> in the film. Uh, but yeah, so basically somebody broke in, stole her key, and has access to her streaker channel. So definitely should be cause for concern.
0: <laughs> it should be, but she and but she's not concerned about it. Um, right. but she has kind of a believable, you know, reason for it.
1: Yeah, well she's just excited to be back at the top of the charts again. You know, so basically she was ousted by like a cancer patient, which like with the cancer patient, we wanted it to be um Always kind of a question, is it like, did this person actually have cancer or did they shave their head and try to get to the top of the streak? You know, like, are they a faker as well or do they have cancer? You know, it's like that was definitely always part of it for us, even though in the movie it's never really addressed as being anything other than she has cancer and she's dying at the hospital and that's why she's streaking um but in our minds of like how the movie's set up she easily could be faking it for the views you know like (laughs) just as bad as the rest of everybody else um but yeah in that moment after bailey's been stopped, she's like all right cool i'm back at the top of the chart, so i'm just gonna let this ride out for a few weeks and see what happens
0: right right like she should be extremely concerned um Mm -hmm. but instead she's She's gonna take advantage of it and and again this is this is somewhat of a hint um, but also you don't really by this point, I think we have as the audience been introduced to Bailey enough to kind of believe that, that this is how she would she would react um, right. if this was really happening to her
1: for sure yeah I mean we try to establish like all she cares about is like how well she's doing online and if this is gonna help her and she's very cunning and smart. You know, she's gonna like let it ride out. Yeah. yeah, for sure.
0: And and there's a real culture out there of people that are you know that engage in very risky behavior. Um, Absolutely. You know, just for the sake of of internet fame.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Hanging off the of cliffs and <laughs>
0: whatever else. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, okay. And then um, so they don't even they don't even call the cops until the second time this happens, um, Mm -hmm. you know, where someone has uh, someone has broken in. And that's when they finally decide uh, to uh, that's when she finally decides to call the police. And um, so I'm going to I know I already said that, you know, we're going to get into details and people should definitely watch it. uh, And I'm going to double down on that right now because I definitely want to talk about this. Mm -hmm. Um, So so um, now we're
1: entering the spoiler zone <laughs> so, yeah, officially exactly.
0: officially into okay. into the spoiler zone here um because okay. the, the cop shows up and he is literally the world's worst cop
1: yes which i mean i think again it's satirizing a real thing which is like when women have violence against them do cops take them seriously and like you know there's tens of thousands of rape kits that are not tested in this country every year uh so i think like For me, even though it's like very over the top and he's like a super idiot, I think there's a a nugget of truth in there of how the police treat women when women have these domestic issues or, you know, rape issues. So it's definitely just like a satirization of rape culture and how the police deal with women, Uh, which is very heavy, but it's not heavy at all in the movie. I think, (laughs) you know, but he tells her to smile more and like, you know, um, they have like a kind of like a slimy interaction.
0: Right, right, yeah, and there was actually it's it's good timing because there was just a film that I watched uh, at Fantasia Fest um, a couple weeks ago called Lucky um, mm-hmm. by uh, Brea Grant. Uh, she was the the writer, um, and it it really carries on this theme, and it's much heavier, obviously, but it really carries on this theme throughout the whole movie, uh, where she's sort of been she's the victim of uh, these repeat uh, break-ins. Okay. Um, similar. Yeah. And, and the cops, the cops and, and her husband, even like nobody, nobody even takes it seriously. You know, nobody will actually do anything about it. And they just keep telling her, well, you're lucky that you weren't hurt. And you're, uh, so right.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And this, in clickbait too, they have that exact conversation. Like, well, you, were you hurt or injured? And she's like, well, not physically, like, but this is obviously a bad thing. You <laughs> know? he's like, well, whatever, you're fine.
0: <laughs> right. Um, and so, but the other thing about this cop is like he's got he's got this, this uniform that looks like a Halloween costume. And you could now and, and, and it kind of works on several levels because in, in in one sense it does sort of fit the tone of the movie. Um, where you could believe that this is a world in which that's the uniforms that cops wear, because we're in somewhat of a hyper realized uh, world. Um but then it also sort of takes on uh, another meeting once once it's revealed that, that he and Bailey are actually working together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's like the little hint of like the spiderweb on his hat from the Halloween <laughs> party. That Emma like is like, what what is on your hat? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we tried not to get like the cheapest <laughs> <laughs> cop costumes. I went to like the Army Navy store and got that. Uh, it was slightly Completely more realistic. But yeah, I mean, it, it had to be realistic enough, exactly. And, it, you know, to be believable enough, especially in the first few bunch of scenes. Um, but yeah, I think there's so many red flags about him, about his van and, like, <laughs> um, his outfit and his behavior that, you know, it's not. uh And even if you notice, like, Emma's about to call 911, and then Bailey takes the phone and she's like, whatever, I'll call. So, like, you know, there's that instant of, like, that you probably don't notice when you're watching. You're like, whatever, she'll call 911. But, like, you don't actually know what number she called.
0: <laughs> right. Right. And you're not, you're not really even thinking this um, because, you know, because you've already sort of established these characters and you've established the universe enough that you could believe in the world that these characters live in that this is what's actually happening.
1: Right, and definitely the movie is very surreal, uh, which is a thing I I don't like reality in films. Like I don't find it that interesting because I live in reality, you know. So I always want some level of surrealism. So like you're saying, I'm glad that like it was acceptable within the universe that was built.
0: You know? <laughs> I was gonna say, surely the person who made Blood of the Tribids. Um, isn't, <laughs> did you see
1: isn't Blood it? of the Tribids? I did. That's a hundred percent different movie. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm very proud of that movie. So.
0: It is. I like I like that one a lot. I, re- I recommend that one quite often too. I, uh, awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of penises in Blood of the Truth. There
1: are, and that was kind of part of the goal of it was to like, um, because of that genre, it's a lesbian vampire film. Because of that genre, we wanted to make sure there was equal representation.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and there, <laughs> there, there definitely is. Yeah, that's uh, that's another that's a uh, that's another really fun one. Um, you know, while we're, uh, so I wanted to wanted to bring that up but uh uh but yeah so this uh, so this uh this works out uh this works out great because i think the first time you know the first time you know watching uh watching through clickbait you know i'm not uh, i'm expecting just about anybody except for you know ex- except for the the pretend cop to be you know the kidnapper you're thinking i'm thinking it's it's the ex-boyfriend um, you know, or it's, you know, it's, it's someone else. There's there's a, there's sort of a mystery aspect uh, to the whole thing. And he's probably, he, he wasn't really you know, on my radar screen as far as, you know, suspects would be.
1: Good. There was a point um in the script, at least, where we had kind of like a whodunit, like Agatha Christie, like you go through the suspects and it really is like everybody they know, you know? And so like that kind of got reduced to just like Emma going through the list with the officer, like, well, who could it be? Is it like, any of these characters we've met, like their teacher, the two guys that are around, and then they're like, "But it could be you, and it could be you." You know, <laughs> um, so it was definitely like it was a bigger part, I think, um, that kind of got whittled down in the edit as far as like the who done it aspect. But it's definitely there, you know.
0: Yeah, and how how challenging is that? You know, when you're when you're writing, and then even when you're you know shooting and editing a film, to uh, to sort of make sure that you know, that your mystery that you reveal, you know, sort of feels authentic. Um, but at the same time that you haven't just completely given it away.
1: Right. I mean, it's certainly difficult. And I'm sure there are people who get it earlier than other people. But I think most of the people I talk to don't know until it's, it's fully revealed um, in this movie, which is great. You know, like, that's what we want. But we want to make sure there's enough of a seed throughout that like if you go back and watch it, you're like, oh, OK, Emma didn't make the phone call. Oh, OK, he's got like spiderwebs on his hat from the party. Oh, hey, at the party, I think I saw him. You know, like there's enough. Um, so it's not out of left field, you know, like totally right. like you could figure it out earlier if you were like hyper like <laughs> focused. Um, but yeah, so it's like and there's also like several points where you could suspect and it still works, I think, um, throughout. The, the film as it's going until that final, where he's just like actually reveal removes the mask um, but it's certainly difficult i mean, you know whether it works or not is up to the viewer, I think, and like how vigilant they are <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i think i mean it definitely it definitely works like I said it you know and I'm not you know i I generally don't watch a movie because and and what with the mindset of trying to solve a mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would I would I'd be a detective if that's what I wanted to do in my in my spare time. You know, I just want you know, I just want a story told to me. Uh, right. So so in a lot of Let respects unfold. Yeah. 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 The and
1: minute I, I notice there's a mystery, I, I am one of those people where I start trying to like suss out the pieces. <laughs> But if I don't think there's a mystery, like if the mystery sneaks up on me, then I, I do just absorb it the way you're saying.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But otherwise, I, I will. I'm like, oh, OK, there's something to figure out here. Oh, yeah. My brain starts working overtime. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will say there's even one more clue. I think when they first uh, when the cop first shows up and Emma. Emma recognizes him. Right. Um, and she doesn't know where she recognizes him from. And, you know, after rewatching it, I realize she probably she probably saw him at the party.
1: Exactly. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. And he has like, like uh, you know, what in nam or something, which is like I think a joke that only works for people older than millennials. <laughs> but, you know, but more of that weird humor.
0: <laughs> yeah. He has a couple of those. He has because he, he's obsessed with he's obsessed with this uh, this thing about elephants uh, where he says yeah. he has the, re- the the reflexes of an elephant and i forget i forget what all of them are but uh
1: the hearing i think of the (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know where that came from really what part of the script that came from but it is funny because he has it wrong always and that's also part of like emma's like what is your deal
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no exactly um okay um now there's also let's talk about some of the dream sequences uh in the film there's there's a there's there's a couple and um and a lot of them involve a lot of you know sort of uh you know practical effects and slow motion work um
1: absolutely yeah like that was us like running a little wild with more of our stylistic choices because like initially with this movie we were like we're gonna make us go a sc- straight Like, core, like, it's just gonna be like the most generic core we could possibly come up with. And then, of course, like, as we start putting our style on everything, it got weirder and weirder and weirder to the point where it has like an infomercial. The infomercial was added much later, like, after the assembly cut, much later, um, for two strudels. So, like, it definitely developed over time that, like, our personalities got really stamped on this project. Um, So, yeah, so the dream sequences were, it's like basically a trick where you speed up what dialogue is and so it's another one of these like um surrealist like she's talking to emma you know at the breakfast table but also in the dream right like i love that that crossover of the dream to the real world and so like we had to speed up her dialogue we shot it super high frame rate and uh you know and so she had to basically lip sync to her own dialogue in the moment Really fast, like <laughs> it was really difficult. And then we slowed it all back down, and it's really uh surreal and kind of like wavy um effect. And then some of it's like backwards with the blood, and so she's like being stabbed in the shower and spitting blood, and it's going forwards and backwards. And uh, and that's another like the who done it moment is more in the dream sequence of like you see everybody take off the mask, and everybody is in it, and everybody's laughing at her, and everybody's watching her. Um, so that's her own brain trying to process what's going on too
0: yeah and um and the Trump mask comes back into play at this point, uh too, yeah. because the 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 you know the killer or in the dream, you know whoever's tormenting her is always wearing um this sort of like spray painted you know sort of like whitewashed. Uh, version of this mask um you, you you kind of dissolve her face over you know a reflection of of the mask our president is a reality tv star you know yeah. he's sort of you know kind of the pinnacle in a lot of ways of this personality that a lot of people have are trying to to emulate
1: 100 percent, that's absolutely why we chose him uh and this was made like right after he got elected so it was like before any of the current horrors that we're in now um but but it was me, still okay it,
0: to, to, to laugh about it back then.
1: Right, yeah, now it's like, oh, this is, like, not appropriate. <laughs> but, you know, definitely we were doing a Michael Myers thing, like a Halloween thing with painting it white. And I think, like, the expression on the mask is so, like, you almost could, like, not realize it's Trump at first, but it definitely is. Um, but, yeah, exactly. To me, he is the pinnacle of fame culture and how far the fame culture can take you in power and money and everything. Um to the point where he's like a dictator, you know, at this point, you know, so it really was like, what is the the most twisted and like the final product of, of this culture on this person? Um, and then like, and so the idea with the mask too is like the hint back to the party is like it would have been discarded at the party because the person wearing it was like, this isn't popular, it sucks. So I threw mm-hmm. it out here. And so like, you, that's another hint of where the mask came from. Um, but. Also, you know, later when she's being tortured and tied up, she's gagged with the red tie, which I think is like not terribly obvious what it is, but it's definitely Trump's red tie. And I felt like that was definitely a symbol of like women uh, and like, you know, misogyny in the administration and stuff. And like, just actually to be gagged by the red tie, that's so like (laughs) symbolic of him. It was, uh, was funny to me. (laughs) Less funny now. (laughs)
0: Right. Right. No, but that's, yeah, that, that all, that all makes sense. And it just, you know, these, these are the themes that you're kind of working with, I think, throughout, um, throughout the movie. Um, Because, I mean, even, even people that, you know, that disagree with him politically, uh, whether they realize it or not, um, you know, are, are doing a lot of the same things and probably would be, would be willing to, um, to be, you know, just as outrageous in their own way. To achieve you know sort of the level of notoriety that that he has
1: absolutely, and I think during the the initial primaries with him, it was like the media couldn't look away. It was so outrageous, and nobody thought he would be elected, but everything he said was very like clickable, and so I think like that clickability of of him really drove him to the white house and and I think the media didn't realize that they were doing it. you know, they thought they were in control, and really he, they weren't he was <laughs> <laughs> That's scary,
0: right. Um, okay. So, um, i want to, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about, we talked about, we mentioned Toot Strudels a, a few times. And of course, hopefully by this point, people have, have already like, watched, watched happening? the movie. <laughs> um, but in, but in case you've listened to all the spoiler talk and everything, you have no idea what we're talking about. Cause I just, th- to me, like this is, this is sort of my favorite, you know, sort of form of, of comedy, uh, where it's, it's, it's extremely broad, but it's also, um, you know, also kind of carries this layered message behind it um, because these are radioactive self-heating toaster pastries
1: yeah which if you notice like in the infomercial like they throw out their toaster because it self heats and if you notice like when emma's trying to make it she's like trying to heat it in a pan so obviously like it doesn't even work um but it was like, it was one of those things that just kind of started as like, all right, we need them to have breakfast. What are they having for breakfast? And then it just kind of grew from there because it was like definitely just like a Pop-Tarts ripoff, you know, like they're gonna have Toots Um And then from there, we're like, oh, it's really funny if their whole lives are in service to this stupid product that doesn't even work. And they're like putting their and that's their whole advertisement base and streaker is like this toot strudel sponsorship, you know, and so it's just like it's so stupid that like they're ruining literally ruining their lives. For this dumb product that doesn't even work um and then you know like we had a lot of fun with the on set. like the stalker like gets a box and he makes his own infomercial where he's eating it through the mask through the trump mask and um so everybody had a little bit of fun with
0: it <laughs> yeah it, it is it is a lot of fun and it's you know it's kind of one of those things where when you see it on his face it's ridiculous it's like they're you know in the ad itself like they're they're, they're talking about these radioactive isotopes
1: yep yep yeah, that's a, a friend of ours we got who's actually Austrian, Johannes Gunsferdner. We were just like, here, go shoot this. <laughs> Be as ridiculous as you possibly can about Toot And he's really funny in the infomercial. Um, but yeah, exactly. Like, it's definitely not appropriate to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, everybody has, it's like, you know, the monster energy. Like, everybody has it. It's around. You know? <laughs> but then later they go out for pretzels. So I don't know how much they actually believe in it either, you know? <laughs>
0: But that's, you know, that's the kind of that's the kind of comedy that that I think, you know, just works. There's the whole video in the middle about, you know, how about how they help you poop and, <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. But
1: that was ad libbed by the actor. It was hilarious. He <laughs> <laughs> was just singing that song. I was like, All right, I'm, I'm rolling, <laughs> um, which I think actually turned out to be like a nursery rhyme I wasn't familiar with. But like, whatever, I will use it. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely where like a lot of the satire comes in through the Toot Strudel products. Yeah, for sure. And it's got the potty humor and, it's, and then it's also like really uh, nefarious.
0: You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's absolutely I mean, it's that's just that's comedic uh, comedic gold for me. Nice. Um, so, okay, so we've we finally kind of gotten to the point where Emma has put all the pieces together. Um, she's figured out you know she's but from watching the video, she's sort of figured out uh, who, who has kidnapped Bailey and where they are
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and she thinks she thinks she solved the mystery, which I guess from her perspective she has um and you know and then the, from that point, sort of the whole finale kind of plays out in these gorgeous slow motion shots um you know, where she's running uh and then you know and then they're in the car, and the song is playing. Um, and I don't know if it was or not, but it feels like the song was, was just written, you know, for the movie, uh, cause the lyrics and everything and the pacing of it just match perfectly with what's happening on screen.
1: Yeah. Uh, we actually, so we always knew we wanted it to be like this very music video, huge ending, um, to the movie. And so we had that from the beginning and then, um, the song that we had wanted to get was, they wouldn't even give us an estimate on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, like. it was that bad you know and so we went digging for another song that was like a similar tempo Uh, sadness is a blessing was the song that we had wanted uh, by licky lee and so we really were like down the spotify rabbit hole of songs like it trying to find stuff and eventually we found the song by young summer called i think it's like heroes or we could be the heroes And, and michael like just popped it in like not even doing like a tight edit and like you're saying the lyrics exactly matched. Like, we're running to the fire. Like, it almost could be like a Mark Wahlberg-like song yeah, like <laughs> from, like, like a 9-11 movie. But like, we're running into the fire. We're going to be the heroes today. It's really grandiose, and uh, it just fit perfectly. And, like, the tempo was right for the slow-mo shots. Um, so we really, really lucked out. And they're kind of a small band. Like, they have publishing and everything. We worked it out with their publishers. But that is the one song that we licensed for it, and it's absolutely perfect. It's, like, weirdly... The lyrics are weirdly apt. It's it's very it's cool. And like the end credit song was like a song I was working on to try to like, because uh, Michael and I are musicians uh, before we were filmmakers. So I was like, all right, I'll write a song, but it's not my style at all. <laughs> but then it ended up being um, the credit song, which is it works great there too. So you know we were trying several angles at fitting the song in, but the one we found like couldn't be more perfect, for sure.
0: Yeah, you know, it's great. It's so on the nose um mm-hmm. that it that it, it it really works in a in a satire uh, you know, feel.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's very creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really like, you know, th- like you were saying like Emma thinks she's going in to rescue her. And so she's running in with like all this energy and the the lyrics and the swelling of the song are like really bringing her to that that climactic moment. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And it and it kind of results in this very, you know, I mean, when you just look at it on its face, it's a very tragic uh, ending to this story.
1: For sure. Like I definitely, you know, Frank Dobson, I think uh, he has like backing it up a little bit, uh, you know, certainly he's in cahoots with Bailey, but he has moments of very toxic masculinity with her where his like still like his anger like comes out at her. So I think like you know he doesn't deserve to die <laughs> but also he's not a good guy either you know and he was kind of trying to use her again like all the other guys like to get his own fame um, you know be part of her like glittery lifestyle so he's not like a great character anyway <laughs> but definitely like it is tragic that he dies and it was kind of a question like initially there was another ending where real cops show up and talk to Emma and Bailey and like kind of actually suss out very literally what happened and we kind of got rid of that in favor for like a post-credit sequence which i don't know if you made it all the way through the credits but at the I end did. of the credit there's a moment with emma where she basically recites one of bailey's blogs from the beginning of the movie so now like the idea being that like bailey is crushed by this like she has utterly failed she caused a guy to get killed like she is now withdrawn but emma has like blossomed into this hero because the entire world Saw her rescue Bailey you know, <laughs> on live stream, um, and so now she's very empowered to be this this influencer, this the star, and so you see that full turnaround of her character uh, in that scene. And so to us, it's like they may have never told anybody the truth, you know? <laughs> that, you know, to like the outside world, like he's just a bad guy that abducted Bailey and Emma killed him and rescued her, but. You know, maybe Bailey's the only one that actually knows, like, that she was the person who put this all in motion, you know?
0: <laughs> right.
1: Ambiguous there.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, that's the only, that's sort of the only outcome that keeps them all out of prison.
1: Exactly, yeah. Like, if they were just all, and to Emma, like, she thinks she's a hero, you know? So, like, if Bailey doesn't tell Emma, then, like, fully she believes it was, like, self-defense for her friend, you know?
0: <laughs> right.
1: So yeah. So that's like the outcome. Like if they just keep their mouths shut, they can get through it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And so and so in the end it kind of comes full circle. They've you know they've they've switched you know, sort of switched places. Um and I guess just sort of uh, you know, another um you know another sign of how, you know, of how you know this kind of culture will perpetuate itself.
1: Exactly. Yeah, like it just keeps on going. And Brandy, who plays Emma, is so creepy. Like, we were definitely, we were on a roof in LA, like, losing light, and we're like, you just got to get it. Like, and it was like, that's the long monologue, kind of, and we just wanted it straight at camera. And there was somebody else up on the roof who, like, after we were done, like, kind of came over, and he's like, what are you guys up to? And he literally thought we were shooting a vlog, like, a real vlog. <laughs> and we're like, oh, no, it's an indie movie. He's like, thank God. Because <laughs> he was so creeped out by it. It was really, really funny. Um But yeah, she went full, like, I think, uh, you know, Brandy was just like waiting the entire movie to let go. And definitely we didn't have a lot of resets for the murder scene, you know, because once the blood started flying, I think we had, we could do one reset to get another take if we needed to. And we didn't, she just ran in there and went nuts with the blood and the gore and the guts. And it, it was amazing to see. It was really awesome. And then from there on, she just like fully accepted the crazy you know, of, the, of the character. Like she just she snaps in that moment. You know,
0: right? Yeah. She. I mean, she goes from you know fainting when they're you know when they're doing a, a dissection in biology class to exactly. you know like literally like ripping out and holding up the heart of her of her you know of her victim or of her you know, of her enemy. Uh, yeah. By the end.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I definitely wanted to show that turn in her character. And then it's the same. It's literally the same heart. It's <laughs> like comically large. I think we, we had like the choice of like a realistic size. I'm like, no, definitely comically large is the correct, correct size.
0: <laughs> yeah. And was that, so was, that a, was that a prop or was it you know, like a, a cow's heart or something like that or?
1: it's just a silicone prop okay. yeah we're we're vegan so as much as possible we try to just use uh replicas of things like i don't <laughs> you know and i was like watching a thing about like dawn of the dead recently and they were talking about how they didn't know better and they just got all this raw meat for the zombies to be chewing on and like they said like everybody got really sick <laughs> <I was laughs>
0: no, you like, don't say I was
1: so grossed <laughs> out yeah I was so grossed oh. out um so yeah, we always try to get like just plastic yeah. or whatever that we can. And Blood of the trip is there's a uh, scene where like we slice somebody's eyeball, and people always think it's a cow eye. and It is just glass and silicone on top. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> there's always oh. a way
1: to do it, you know. Yeah.
0: Oh, that that you're, you're talking about the scene with the thorn.
1: Yeah, cut we the, slice the yeah. eye with the thorn. Yeah, it's just a glass eye with like a layer of silicone on it, and, it, and people really react to because they think it's like a real eye
0: yeah i mean it's a very well it's a very convincing scene i mean that's a that's an excellent yeah. uh that's an excellent shot and
1: we've come a long way from like the 70s like we're just gonna use red paint like the like, Suspiria, <laughs> like it's just like red paint uh you know to like better viscosities and stuff but definitely fake looks better you know?
0: <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um so tell me about uh, your crew this is a relatively small crew uh on this film
1: <clears throat> for sure yeah um it was very small. So it was me and my two camera people, Matt and Paul. And then we had kind of like an all around grip PA for a screenwriter friend of ours named Tyler Sage. And on sound, we had Winston Moore. So it was all people that like I had met or worked with on other sets. And so like, you know, I'm always like casting crew. Cause like I work a, as a assistant camera and as a camera operator on other people's sets all the time. And so if somebody is, like, pretty cool and chill to hang out with, <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, I pencil them in my little brain Rolodex. Uh, so, yeah, it was very, very small. I like to keep it small. I'm just like, make- oh, yeah, and so see who did the makeup? She was amazing. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and that's about it most days. It was, like, ten people tops in a house. Uh which keeps it cheap for food, It you know, it makes it so we can be small. We didn't have permits like we we're running around, you know, shooting like we have permission the places we were inside, but like we we're running around Hollywood, like being crazy, um, which makes it easier when you don't have 50 people, when you have five people and you can tell three of them to like, just go hang out and stand down for a while. <laughs> That's kind of how we work. It's very small and agile. Uh, and I bring these guys back on all sorts of projects all the time. And um And then our uh, we did the music with Catherine Capozzi, who we work with a lot, and she did an awesome job on this movie. And like, if you get into listening to the music, like, there's like a stalker theme that is throughout, kind of like a very John Carpenter like, Cynthia like, a da da like couple notes that comes around, and it's actually like his ringtone when his phone rings, and it comes up like throughout the movie in other spots. That's like kind of other hints here and there. And so she just did a phenomenal job on the score, and she wrote the end theme song with me um and we were you know so she scored all of our movies so far and usually we like to say like night kisses is like our composing team and it's like me michael and catherine mostly catherine <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah very very small um very small crew yeah wow. michael edits i do most of the pre-production he does most of the post and we help each other in between so yeah it's very small
0: yeah, that's really neat. I know I know Matt Stewart's um, cuz he's he's also a um a, a writer director uh, in his own right. Um yeah. so I understand you guys are you guys are going to be working uh you know you guys going to be working together again.
1: Yeah, we actually just shot with Matt. Um yeah, so we met funnily enough like the uh I think right after we moved to LA. Cause we used to be in Boston and we moved to LA like 4 years ago. We went to a film festival in Buffalo and met Matt there. And he had a movie called Tonight She Comes, which is like awesome and gory and it's a cool movie. Um, and so we met him there and we're like, oh, he's cool. And he's like, oh, I'm moving to LA next month. And we're like, all right, we'll talk. you know. <laughs> and then we kept running into him because like the horror community is surprisingly very small in LA. It's like, we all go to like, there's all these repertory screenings at like the Egyptian and the new Bev. And like, we show up, we, you know, as a community, we all show up all the time to the same places. So we just kept running into Matt. And then like the week before we were shooting, he was like, Oh, you know, I'll just come out and help out or whatever. And we're like, all right, sure. Show up at this house. (laughs) And so I think like the first day he showed up with just like a stills camera and he was taking photos. And then we're like, Oh, you have like a red. All right, cool. Bring that tomorrow. (laughs) And then so like the second day it turned into like the three camera shoot I was talking about, which like saved us so much time because like, it's so dialogue heavy that like, if you have three cameras going, you know, like, you can get through like we got through like 12, 15 pages in a day sometimes because we had the coverage. Um, So it it really worked out. So he like kind of just got in there and was so useful. (laughs) 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 Uh, And he actually was the one who, um, he put on the the stalker jumpsuit and had the glove on and he was filming all the the Giallo POV stuff too. So he was awesome. And so, yeah, so we worked together a lot and we end up on a lot of the same indie sets out here as like assistant camera people and stuff. Um, and so we just started work on, in February, we're doing a mockumentary. It's called The Once and Future Smash. And it's about two guys who played the same slasher character in a 1970 uh, slasher film. And so it's starring Michael St. Michael's, who is in The Greasy Strangler, and Bill Whedon, who's in Sergeant Kabuki Man. Uh, so they're both about 80, and they're both hilarious. And pre-pandemic, like, in February, we flew them to Charlotte to the Madman's Monster Party, and we shot uh, this mockumentary. And so probably like 60% of the movie was shot there at this, uh, at this convention with them. And they're awesome. Luckily, I think we've shot them out because I don't even want to bring them out again in COVID times. You know, I'm so scared (laughs) about that. But Matt was one of my crew for that. Uh, So that was also another, like, we only flew out, uh, just Matt and this other guy, AJ, and that's it, I think for, and we had a producer, Neil Jones. Um, at that set because we were at like a hotel, you know, and we had permission from the convention. They were really, really awesome, letting us just like do whatever. And anytime security bothered us, we're like, no, no, we have permission. <laughs> and the hotel is just used to being overrun for the convention that they didn't care. So it was actually really cool. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's the latest thing I worked on with Matt and I'm sure we'll work together again uh, when whenever something is safe and able to, <laughs> to happen again. But that's our big project. Hopefully we can shoot the rest you know, cause it's like a mockumentary. There's gonna be like talking heads and like, we want to recreate scenes and stuff. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to shoot that like next year. And it'll come out the year after or something.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. That's, I mean, that's, you guys, you guys make a great team. Um, you know, this clickbait I think is, uh, is, is proof of that. Um, And, uh, you know, it's, it's really fun and and really enjoyable. And again, I just want to, you know, sort of reiterate to people um, to go and, and and check it out because it is, it is quirky and it's offbeat. uh, And it's, you know, it's the kind of thing that, you know, I guess if you don't watch a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of indie movies or heavy satires and offbeat comedies, and maybe you don't quite get, you know, the, the humor and and things, but, um, you know, my, my podcast is, is really all about, you know, sort of highlighting these, uh, these heavily heavily underseen films, and you know trying to you know kind of kind of shine a light on them.
1: yeah, it's awesome. It's a great mission.
0: <laughs> so um okay, so I don't want to keep you uh, any longer. I, I really appreciate you've been uh, uh, you, that you've been very generous uh, with your uh, with your time. Uh, so before we go, is there any you know any sort of anything you want to plug or, or you know want to let people know you know sort of how to find you or you know how to find out more about um, you know your your production company or your films? Uh, you know, what do you want to tell people
1: absolutely um yeah i'm everywhere well most places i'm not on tiktok uh, <laughs> maybe <laughs> i will be by the end of the year um sophia castillo i'm just my name most places and then our production company is called Launchover. so if you go to launchover.com, you can see what we're working on and watch other shorts and stuff are all up there um yeah, I think that's about it. Like, I have an Instagram for my dog. <laughs> I'm like, we got a pandemic dog. I never had a dog before. It's been a real learning
0: experience. So, like, he isn't,
1: he's called King Ghidorah the dog, like the Gojira. Uh, and so, he's on Instagram too.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: So, I'm trying to make him an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> art imitating life as usual.
0: There you go. Yeah. Art imitates life that imitates art.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's great. yeah, it's in there.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Also, Sophia, again, I really, uh, really appreciate your, your time today. And, um, you know, again, really big fan of, uh, of your work. I encourage everyone, uh, again, I know you guys get tired of hearing me say this, but please, you know, go and check out, uh, go and check out Clickbait uh, and go check out Blood of the Tribids. Uh, You know, if you're, especially if you're, you know, sort of a a fan of, you know, those sort of 70s style, uh, you know, lesbian vampire films, but you want sort of a modern feminist take uh, on that. uh, I think that's, uh, that's really well done. Uh, You have a couple others, I think, right? Ten? And um, yeah
1: magnetic was Planet. our very slow sci-fi <laughs> if you like really slow sci-fi movies with time travel you watch magnetic late at night
0: <laughs> <laughs> so awesome so check those out those are all you know sort of available uh online on demand um and uh, yeah, anywhere you can get and that is our show, folks. That's going to do it. That's going to be the episode. Uh, I really appreciate everyone uh, listening along, and really, really, honestly, truly appreciate all the support uh, that you've shown for the show and uh, for these uh, for these movies that uh, that I'm covering. Uh, so please uh, drop me a line. Let me know uh, what you thought of Clickbait. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at FinnHorror horror uh, or at nsfa pod. Uh, or you know, if you don't have Twitter or you know don't want to send a public message you can email the show Uh, it's not suitable pod at gmail.com so until next time thank you for listening Uh, and thank you again uh, sophia for uh, for jumping on with me
1: thanks